Hello, welcome to the Creative Writing Life Podcast. I'm Justin Sloan. And I'm Paul Zeidman. I'm very happy to introduce a guy I've known for quite some time. I haven't talked to him in quite some time, but <laughs> he is a phenomenal writer of comics and essays about comics and entertainment and all that kind of stuff. Uh, very fantastic guy, Larry Young. Welcome to the show. Ah, thanks for having me, guys. This is like, this is my. Fa- I was telling Paul earlier, this is my favorite thing to do is talk about writing. Awesome. That's, yeah. that's what we like to do too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially with comics writers. I feel like we don't get enough of them on here. We've had a couple, but but not too yeah. many lately. So mm-hmm. excited. And we always start off with a, what are we reading, listening to, or whatever, and then we'll hop into all our discussions. Uh Paul, you got anything to kick us off today? Uh I've got two, and the one of them, the second one, I'm really interested to hear about what the two of you thought think thought about it. So the first uh-huh. one is I finally got to see Oppenheimer in the theaters, and wow. I was just amazed by it. And Mm -hmm. it's like three hours long, but it flew by. It was just a phenomenal piece of work. And I I think right after I walked out of the theater, I thought, if that doesn't win Best Picture, I will be amazed. And I thought Cillian Murphy was fantastic in the title role. And and all of the supporting parts, just amazing. I was just blown away by the whole thing. So the second uh, thing I watched, almost the other end of the spectrum, uh, I watched The Flash. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah uh okay so i kind of go back and forth i parts of it i liked but parts of it i thought were really bad i think the really bad with so with some of the writing and some of ezra miller's uh acting in some scenes but i guess and i i was trying to avoid spoilers about all of it and i think the cg in a lot of like the time bubble scenes that was just awful. <laughs> it was, I mean, because I know they were trying to recreate, you know, uh, like a Henry Cavill and uh, like and George Reeves and I uh, and Adam West and all the and the Nicolas Cage is like, oh, but they look like they're right, right out of a computer game. And it was just like, come on, this how much this is like what 200, $300 million picture. And the, the, the special effects were great, but just some of it I found lacking and the story. I I don't know. I I I am kind of familiar with Flashpoint. Larry can go go on a big diatribe about that. But uh I I just thought that the story didn't seem as original as I was hoping. But I mean I thought again, parts of it were good, but parts of it I was kind of disappointed with. Hmm. I mean, I think they tried to do that on purpose, like to make him look video gamey, because it wasn't like the reality. And so I was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll play along with their game. You know, I think if they were trying to make it look real, they would have done a better job because, yeah, it looked obviously not real at all. Uh, so I think that was what they're going for. Like, let's do this for this alternate reality weird thing. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so we watched that as well for the first time um, last Saturday. And I think we both loved it. My wife and I and my daughter watched most of it, but they got a little like scared to part. So they stopped uh, the kids. Uh, my daughter was the one who lasted the longest. Uh, but I think we we both loved it. I could see I was actually very impressed with Ezra. I totally dislike him from all the news media stuff going on. So I didn't watch it in the theaters for that reason. Uh, but we watched it and we we're like, oh, impressive. So a uh, different <laughs> view. But I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet, but I did watch uh, for the first time, The Boys Presents Diabolical, the anime, uh, kind of like a bunch of uh, anthology series, basically, of different stories in the, the Boys universe. And uh, some of them are over the top ridiculous, <laughs> as you would expect. <laughs> In good ways or bad, and uh, but overall, it's my kind of style, so I liked it. Uh, Larry, you got anything for us to share? Yeah, the the way I interact with with pop culture, I just consume and then I contextualize it. And so, the Flash did not bother me at all. I can always find something good 
in a crappy movie. And I'll, I won't say it's a good movie, but I'll go, I enjoyed that. You know, here's a, here's a thing. And so, you know, as a guy who likes pop culture, you get in the habit of just Marvel no prizing or explaining <laughs> something that doesn't work to you or, and especially in a time travel movie, it's like, you know, the flash is like, well, who killed his mom initially? They, they didn't say, and it's like, well, who cares? It's a bootstrap paradox. Like <laughs> I know that it's the reverse flash, but for some reason they didn't bring the reverse flash into it, even though, and this is my other problem with this movie. They just did this entire storyline for the last seven years on the flash TV show. Yeah. So that one was pretty accurate to the story. So if you cared, it was great. I, I don't, I don't really, I haven't read superhero comics since I was like 20 years old. So I, <laughs> Like when people go, hey, you're a comics guy. What do you think of Spider-Man? I'm like, mm, it's cool. <laughs> My kid likes Spider-Man. <laughs> like I'm like completely into like Cerebus and Love and Rockets and, you know, just all the crazy, like, you know, yeah, alternative stuff. Yeah, like, I was saying like top, a lot of independent comics. Sure. Top shelf uh, comics. I'll buy anything of theirs. Like, you know, alternative, just any alternative press stuff. So I know this stuff because, you know, people talk about it in the comic stores or online now. Right. Uh, which is the it's the lay, the newest clubhouse the digital clubhouse <laughs> like i have a new pal justin now like i don't know where do you even live justin it looks like mordor <laughs> yes mordor <laughs> los angeles sometimes it oh, feels that's cool hot, yeah not one in the same california yeah. Yeah. how are you <laughs> how are you dealing with the weather because up in san francisco like people that i know from like newfoundland are like i heard there's a hurricane in la that never happens are you okay and i'm like <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah, it wasn't even bad. It was just like a rainy day. <laughs> and the last, since we've lived here, we we lived for San, from San Francisco four years ago. Yeah. And since we've been here, there's been some crazy windstorms and whatnot. But uh, this this hurricane, there was like no wind. There was some yeah. rain. It was like, okay. But I guess they downgraded it right before it came. But uh, at some point in the night, it had started another, another center focus, whatever, and like came right through our area, supposedly. But yeah, nothing insane. But heat gets me. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's stuck here. One minute. Go back to Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Rain in LA just in August is like that's newsworthy anyway. But like oh, yeah. be a hurricane oh, yeah. too. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. It was it was pretty awesome. We loved it because it was so hot. It was like hundred degrees the day before. And then all of a sudden it's like <laughs> 80 and rainy. And we're like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, wow, and actually this weekend cool. is gonna be like 78. So we're gonna have a nice relaxing weekend over the four day, three and a half day weekend. Very nice. Very mm -hmm. nice. All right. So, Larry, so, you know, as we've talked about, you love talking about writing. So, like, what is your story? I mean, have you been a writer, like, your whole life? And, I mean, or did you kind of, like, you you read a lot as a kid and you're, like, decide, hey, I'm going to give this a try. Hey, I'm actually not too bad at this. Uh, let's see what I can do with it. And if also, uh, as we talked about, you've, you've written comic books, if you kind of get into how you got into that. Okay. Oh, my God. Let me see if I can do this in, like, less than a minute. So as a boy, I just liked reading. I would read everything. I'd get up with my dad and he'd read the paper and he'd throw me the funnies and then there's nothing to read and I don't care about Watergate or whatever. So I would, <laughs> I would read the the in instructions on whatever's on the table. And so I remember this really clearly. I was about five or six. I made up this game where I, uh, with my father that I tried to uh, give him clues for the ingredients list on a bottle of ketchup without using the name, right? So I go, well, it's red. It's in the garden. You got tomatoes. And we go all the way through and we got really good at it. So you'd be like, well, is this red dye number two or red dye number three? You know? 
And so that just turned into reading, love of reading turned into, well, I, I'm going to tell my own stories. And then that turned into in the early, right, right at the turn of the century, our turn of the century. I was working at, at Chiron, which was a pharmaceutical place in Emeryville across the Bay. And we formulated medicines for injection in a class 100 clean room, which is a cool sci-fi place where you wear a paper spacesuit and you can't talk because it introduces stuff into the air. And so if something went wrong outside, we're stuck there. It was me and another staff member and we can't talk. We can trade notes with each other. But so we just would sit there and I would just run through everything I had read that week in my head, just like enjoy it again. And then I started, I remembered this thing with my dad. So I started making up games for myself. Like if food had a voice, like who would I get to do the voiceover? So like James Earl Jones is clearly chocolate. Bruce Willis is all American. So he's a pepperoni pizza, right? Stuff like that, just to pass the time. And then I started doing other stories. So I'd come home and I hated this job. It was, it was just a drudge job. And uh, my wife would be like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want to write movies. And she's like, well, you can't do that. I'm like, well, why don't I write comic books? Because you can do a story that takes place on the moon where it's just Charlie Adlard going squiggles and look, it's the moon and guys walking around. And a film, it's $300 million of Teamsters grinding up Cocoa Puffs to make the, you know. And so it just was like, it's all, comics is just all lines on paper. The, the, the barrier to entry is nothing, right? Because you can take a piece of typing paper and draw a compelling story and or you can do Watchmen and it's the same thing. It's just a matter of scale, right? So I'm like, all right, the $13 that it takes to, to you know, buy Watchmen or Dark Knight Returns is the same $13 it's going to take to do whatever confection I come up with. And so we did. And then it, it did really well. And so I started getting my friends involved. And I'm like, hey, let's put on the show. I got chairs and a stage. And it turned into a kind of a thing there for about 10 or 15 years. And then I had a kid. And so I stopped updating my website and. You know, I'm kind of getting back into it now, though. He's 16 in our last San Diego. Uh, he he released his first comic book. It's a, a two-page, uh, I mean, a two-story thing that, that was drawn by the Philback brothers do Star Wars and this new uh, artist I found in Brazil named Daniel Cavall. So it's pretty cool. So I, had, I got the great uh, experience of showing up on the scene and everybody goes, where'd this guy come from? And nobody wants to hear, like, I worked in advertising, marketing, and promotions for 20 years before I even tried to do a comic book. So, like, it looks like I know what I'm doing, because I do. But, so, the same thing, my kid had that experience, too, because he just gets, wow, this is this is really professional. And it's like, yeah, Larry Young's my dad. And and what's <laughs> so cool is people are, like, into it. They're not, they don't give them nepotism crap. They, they're like, wow, man. And the fun thing, speaking of talking about writing, that's what I did during the, the coronavirus um, isolation and, and quarantine is uh, I just, my kid and I just watched movies for two and a half years. And instead of just watching movies and going, that's great and checking it off a checklist or whatever, we, it would take us like five hours to watch a two hour movie because we would stop it and I go, okay, why does that work? And he'd be like, oh, that's a simple match on form, guide. And like for two and a half years. And so when he shows up to do his comic, it's like, hey, he knows what he's doing because we talked about it for three years. <laughs> wow. Did, did he come to you like, you know, while he was putting his story together and to say like, what do you think of this? Or did he come to you for advice? Wow. Or did he just kind of like say here and just like say, I'm done with it? 
it's it's really cool like we're a media family my wife uh works in the digital space or marketing and i don't even know what she does it's computers <laughs> like i i fully feel that she's a assassin for the Mossad, and that's her cover story because i just i won't question it it's like oh how'd you get that that wound and like oh i bumped into a table and okay honey it's computers right all right but so my kid was he's used to interacting with that stuff on a serious like literature level he 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 wasn't raised to think comic books are for kids he was raised that's just another form of literature and film and everything short stories the back of baseball cards ketchup labels right it's all literature so uh he loved uh community and so part of the marketing on that show community was it's six seasons in a movie and so he wrote the movie when he was 12 he watched the show two times through and then started a third time i'm like what are you doing man like i mean i watch star trek like that i get it it's comforting it's you know oh it ends the same way every time you can have it on while you do but you're 12 what are you doing he's like oh i gotta get the character's voice right so i mean he's way far ahead from where i was but my parents were good natured you know norman rockwell paintings people and his parents are lunatics so is that what he wants to do or is that just kind of like right now that's his interest and or he has like yeah this is what i want to do but you know the writing is kind of like on the side one of the things that we say as parents is that writing is important because it's part of communication and that no matter what you end up doing you're going to need to know how to convey your thoughts and human beings that's writing now and so no matter what you do, you have to be good, a good writer. So he was kind of raised with that. And then he saw like the fun stuff that you can do with writing, you know, it's like, oh, hey, I can type Bruce Willis jumps off the Nakatomi building wrapped in a fire hose, you know, and, and then that will happen at some point. Or you can have an illustrator draw it or whatever. And he's really interested in the collaborative aspect of it, like. I really enjoy that I sit in my house all year long and then come out at the week of San Diego and lose my voice on Thursday because I'm talking to hundreds of people, which I never do during the year. And he's like, I can't wait to get a crew together. So he's shot, he's taking video classes. He's shot short films. Um, his school, he goes to Lowell High School, which is kind of a, a, a good school. And so they have a longstanding film club he immediately took that over and like won the first three things because he's the only one who cares. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's what well, storytelling is, is a part of human beings experience. And, and I knew that I, I remember this really clearly. I was in eighth grade sitting at a dance in the dark, just sitting with my friends talking about star Trek or whatever. And I see if I don't get off the the wall here and go out and like ask some girl to dance, I'm going to sit here forever. And the, so as an adult, that's my preference. I love doing that. But like, you also have to go out in the world. And so I, as parents, my, my wife and I conveyed that to our kid. It's like, you know, it's cool to communicate, but like, don't do it from a remove, do it like in the middle, roll your sleeves up and get, get, make something creative with other like-minded people. And so he really took that to heart. That's excellent. So I have uh, one question that I'll toss it over to Justin. So uh, the kind of the book that, from what I remember, really kind of uh, got you started was your series Astronauts in Trouble. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was a great concept. And so I'm rather than me try to mangle my way through it, I'm going <laughs> to let you I'm going to let you do it because you you're it's your your creation. So you can explain it much better. I sure have lived with these characters for a while. In uh, 
1998, my wife and I went to go see an IMAX movie about going up Everest. And at the at the big reveal, they're like, uh, okay, here are the guys coming up to the to the top of the Everest. And there's already tracks there where the cameraman had walked up. And and so I I thought that was funny. And we spoke about that that night. But the next day we went to the California Museum of Science and watched the telemetry from the Pathfinder landing on Mars. Do you remember that little Taka Chuck robot? Mm -hmm. And right, right at the same thing, right when they get to the critical moment of the story, uh, they cut to an animation and the voiceover guy goes, we can't uh, show you this, of course, because there are no cameras on Mars to record the event. And I literally fell out of the chair because those two movies like turned into Life on the Moon in my head in a second. I'm like, if we do get back to the moon, it is going to be like, you know, Lawrence O'Donnell from MSNBC up there going, what do you think about getting to the moon? And so, you know, it, it, then it just kind of writes itself. The only way to get up there is a rich guy. I mean, that's happening now in the news. I wrote this 20 years ago, and it really does seem between the media being the the media being part of the event when they were not supposed to, just kind of what's going on in the news right now with the January 6th stuff that's happening and the rich guys trying to go into space. It seems like I thought, you know, in, in 1998, putting this in 2020 was going to be like, oh, that's the far future. And now it's like, you know, kind of happening. Like, I'm going to be mad if they don't make uh, a Life on the Moon movie um like on location they need to go to the moon and shoot it <laughs> how so how was that series received i mean because it kind of it's kind of really what got what got you started yeah that one it was i had worked at you brought up that i i did marketing and promotions at uh comics experience and my my plan for i was going to take over comics because the barrier of entry is so small the one part i'd i'd done marketing and promotions and writing and and even print production i worked at a at a newspaper for a while. And so I knew everything about the production process except for the distribution. And in comics, distribution is a very, very particular thing. It doesn't make any sense. You have to order what you want three months ahead of time. Whether you And so you have to know that you want to eat beans on that Wednesday in April or you're not going to be happy, right? So... <laughs> So I, I I I was a customer at Hebs' shop, and I was like, "Hey man, I'll I'll do your newsletter or something for you. Just let me babysit the cash register and understand what retailers' problems are as you um, as you buy books." Because and then I just started banking favors, and I worked for him for like five years, and then then it's time to put the book out, and everybody goes, "Well, how did this sell four thousand copies?" Right? Because it's because everyone I I knew. I was like, don't just order one copy, order five. And and so people did. And then, you know, it, it did well enough that we were like, oh, let's keep going. So I did a sequel. I actually, the first, the Life of the Moon actually wasn't even published by us. So I had a retailer friend that was doing it at the same time. And I said, well, let's just do mine. And now you look like you have a line instead of just a couple of chumps doing their own book. And and so our first book, that, that did really well. And it sort of it helped us up. I always I always tell those guys, man, you're the third stage of my rocket. Like none of that happens if you guys don't do your work. But but and they're all like, we got you to the moon right on. <laughs> and so that's that's kind of fun. The collaborative thing that I was talking about. It's fun. Okay. But uh, but yeah, then we just kept publishing. Very yeah. cool. If you have the infrastructure for one book. It's kind of like ordering it. It's like if a it's so hard to get a retailer who's not ordering your book at all to order just one copy. 
Mm-hmm. But if he's ordering one, you can get him to order five because he'll know a couple of guys that, you know, he doesn't want to, but he'll do it. And then if he does that, that sells. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that made money. Maybe I'll order seven. And then by the time, you know, issue five comes out, you know, it's a hundred because, but that one, that zero to one is the hard part. And so that's why I worked with Hibbs to understand those guys. Cause it's weird. Comics is weird. I could not run a store. It's magic. I know how they do it. And I still think it's magic. <laughs> and how long have you been in the comics industry? Oh man, since, well, we call it March 17th of 1999 because that was the first time you could go in a store and buy anything with my name on the cover. But mm-hmm. I'd been working in, you know, behind the scenes and retail and stuff like that for like five years before that. So, oh wow, yeah. pretty cool. So, what do you feel has changed in the industry between back then and now, or has it not changed? Uh, it, it, lots of stuff has changed and some stuff will never change. But the the digital social media stuff is amazing. Like no one, if I had done the exact same thing ten years before, no one have would have ever heard of me. But because I'm, oh man, <laughs> there's lots of stuff going on in my house today. I'm really sorry if you hear stuff. Uh, no, uh, not my thing. Okay, there's a my wife's got a, a little she shed done in the back, and uh, and so my guy's walking around. Any, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, and just can I just. Just for two seconds, can I just leave? Yeah, no worries. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. As he's gone, I wanted to uh, mention that I recently had a bunch of chats with a uh, an old coworker from Telltale who was asking about how to publish books, uh, and so I think it's interesting to kind of look at this comic stuff in the yes, same yes. way because yes. we don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, it'll be interesting for you. Man, I'm so sorry about that. I was oh. thinking. Of- I could avoid that. Hopefully, you can fix that in the oh, editing. Yeah. <laughs> just it just shows the realism of the show. Uh, yeah, sorry. Except for no they saw that you weren't wearing pants, so that's troublesome. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I did. I put pants on for you. Guys. I, I'm, I'm joking. joking. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah the so. comics comics is different with social media and digital, but it's also like super the same. Like the the underpinning of the comic book industry was flawed in the beginning, and so it's hard now. A, a, a similar thing is happening like what's happening in Hollywood, not like the overt strikes, but um, I see a commonality between uh, actors and writers in Hollywood and and folks that work in comics in that they love it so much they will work for free and the people with money take know that and take advantage of it. And so it's mm-hmm. like, look, man, you want to have a comic book. Just, just do 160 pages and we'll pay you if it makes money, right? Here's, here's your royalties. But if you do your job, that's good. And early days in comics, you could do that. But now it's fraught. It's really fraught. And mm-hmm. and so you have a, a, a thing where, you know, some kid who who is okay, he's maybe, maybe just almost ready, will be like, well, I need $250 a page. And it's like, oh, hey, man, that's, that's like professional money and you don't have any credits. He's like, well, I'm not getting out of bed unless I get paid. And it's like, I understand, but that's a great way to never d- get a job done. It's like the whole, like, you know, you need a SAG card to get a SAG job, but you can't get a SAG job, a card, unless you get the SAG job. It's like kind of like that. Like, yeah. at some point, you have to prove that you're ready to pay your dues, you know? Yeah, nobody, wants, so no, nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> looking at that career side of it, can somebody get paid? And I know there are ways, but I mean, in your thoughts, uh, can you make it as a comic book 
writer where people are hiring you to do the work or do you kind of have to drive the work yourself as a writer? Well, it, yeah, that's a, the answer is different for everyone, right? Right. I mean, right. I personally prefer driving it myself because then I get to do what I want to do, right? Mm -hmm. It's like if, I mean, it depends. Like if, if you're being, if you're being a working writer, you're going to have different um, goals than, than somebody who's just like dabbling or, or somebody who is, enjoys a form, but does something else and do, doesn't worry about paying his kids tuition or something because, you know, he's doing a, a you know, something else. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's different for everyone, but I like, uh, I, I, it's possible, but it's not as light, as prevalent as everyone thinks it is, right? I really yeah. think it's like getting a getting an acting job. Like you can be a background guy and like be fine, but everybody wants to be Brad Pitt, right? Right, and right. So, so it's very similar in comics. <laughs> and uh, if you were if you were telling your son if he was starting today and didn't know what to do, or if you were starting over right now and you just were like, I'm going to do some comics, uh, what would be your 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 route how would you go about that or how would you advise somebody to go about that well the thing the thing that attracts people to comics is the the words and pictures being juxtaposed you know so so the the the, the initial thing of your of your question is that there's a whole bunch of stuff you don't have to talk to somebody about if they say well i you know i like cars i'm going to be a mechanic right like a guy who is is thinking about well, I like reading and writing, and I'm attracted to comic books, and that's a cool form I want to try to enjoy. I I like certain stuff about it, and there's a cool thing when you turn the right hand page, there's like a mini cliffhanger every time because there's an image there, but it takes a second to turn the page, so you get you have a second thinking about what's coming up, and there's fun things you can play with, right? That you, you don't even have to explain that to somebody because they get it instinctually. That's they like that's what they like about the form. So I would say, like, don't do it. <laughs> the, um, the, there's yeah. so much. It, it, I would write a novel. If I was a writer and I was interested in comics, I would just write a really cinematic novel. Because in comics, uh, there was a time where writers were, re were revered in comics. Uh, it was in the 60s and right when I showed up at the beginning of the 2000s. Um, if it if I had shown up in a different thing, I'm not sure I would have been attracted to comics so much because mm -hmm. I can draw just enough to know that I will never be professional, right? Mm -hmm. Like I know exactly what to ask for from a an artist, and if I know the artist, it's a breeze, right? But most people who just they they don't understand how what it's like to work with an artist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like somebody. It's it's a weird thing that happens in in high school. I think that somebody will get an English teacher that goes, "The written word is the pen is muddier than the sword," and you know you just buy into all of that. And then, but that's sort of like not what pop culture entertainment writing is. Like you mm -hmm. have to deal with a lot of people. It's not, and sometimes you know the budget is mightier than the sword. Sometimes you know the art director is mightier than the sword. Like it starts with a writer, which is cool and attractive, but like that's it's sometimes it's an afterthought, you know. So yeah. sometimes people who are attracted to being a writer are not attracted to the writing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I often oh, yeah. think of comics as kind of like a prestige thing to do. Like you do, like if you're me, you might do one or two or a few to like be like I wrote comics because it does sound cool <laughs> and sexy. 
But uh, yeah, talking to enough people, you kind of get the feel of, oh my God, what a pain in the butt. And oh my God, it doesn't really pay that much compared to the amount of work for some other avenues. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Last question for me is about uh, the art of it, the art of the craft. And so like, especially I'm curious about comedy. I would imagine some of yours have some good comedic moments in there. Uh, but in general, what are your sources for like how you think about storytelling, how you learn the craft, how you advise people around you to to study and to learn and to think about storytelling, especially for comedy? The um, yeah, that's a giant question. <laughs> I uh, I always you tell favorite people, books. Do you have a favorite book? <laughs> I I love I love that show Californication that David Duchovny mm -hmm. did because there's some stuff that's like so true to like a writer's experience, and then there's stuff that you wish was true, but it's television. You know, it's like no, you can't drink that much and have that much sex and and actually write <laughs> David Duchovny. But uh, but there's a line in there where he says I I. Any, I can't tell you how to write and anybody who does is lying. And that really spoke to me because not so much that you can't teach someone the mechanics. It's just that it's such a personal thing to me personally. Like I can tell you exactly how to write like me, but you're not going to be able to do it because you will do all the dumb jokes that I know not to do. Like I'm kind <laughs> of a, I'm kind of a wise ass. So if I'm writing something, I, there has to be a character that will have the wise ass joke. Be and and but it can only be one an issue because i will turn that thing into like impractical jokers and that's not every project right so my wife uh really helped me uh and adam beach and i don't know if you guys know him but he was right around batgirl for a long time good buddy uh -huh. of mine uh the three of them really I, I passed off the first draft of of astronauts in trouble to them and Mimi's thing was the best. I mean, Adam was like looking at here's some you know structural things and functional stuff. He's a writer I respect. So and he knew that's what I wanted. Like, what am I missing? Where's the you know? But my wife was like, No, you only get one stupid joke a month. And I knew what she meant. And and so I was like, Yeah, you know what? And that that once you have like a little thing like that, it help it makes you a better writer, you know, because I just, I will always go for the dumb joke. And that's not always what you need to do. <laughs> but, I imagine yeah, you do so, a lot of video games, you know, where they have those side characters who always just nonstop, oh, stupid joke, stupid joke, stupid joke. Yeah. And you'd be great for that. Then. <laughs> oh, that's me in real life. <laughs> I, 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 I'm that archetype for my friends. <laughs> awesome. I love it. No, go uh, ahead. Paul, no, I put you? your lips on that. You won't get sick. Go ahead, do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, actually, Paul, yeah, did you have anything? I, yeah, actually, Justin raised a good point. So like, so what if somebody wants to get into writing comics? I mean, is there is there a book like how to write comics or do you just kind of like base it on, OK, like there's six panels or however many panels and word balloons? I mean, and like, what is a comic? Because uh, I've had to go through this myself. Like, what does a comic book script look like? Because mm -hmm. uh, some people do it like, OK, here's what's happening in the panel. And maybe there's like a line to dialogue at the bottom of that description. Yeah. And then they say, OK, they hand it off to the artist. I mean, there, there's so many different ways to go about it. But is there a way like for someone who's like really just starting out that you would recommend? Yeah, I mean, now is a great time for starting out, because when I started, there was only two examples of a written comic script that that the public could get. I mean, if you knew somebody you can you could get hundreds of scripts but not everybody that joins comics like does all the networking first so um there was a neil gaiman script in the back of salmon number eight and there was um alan moore's uh script for what became watchmen it was called twilights of the gods 
and people would just do that but like it doesn't really help because neil gaiman is this ethereal writer and and alan moore's like you know his paragraph is you know i don't know he's a very dense writer so um so i thought you know what i have all this stuff kicking around and everybody's asking me how to do it so uh, that's where i was going the first thing that our company published was actually the making of astronauts in trouble which is a script collection xeroxes and faxes and stuff that i had traded with a and i just made it i don't know if you guys knew the art of star wars book that came out in 78 or so i think so it was, it was yeah it was the star wars screenplay and then a bunch of pictures of the models and stuff and man i just went nuts and when i was 14 and i thought if i get in a in a situation like this i'm going to do this exact book so that's what i did i took the, all the scripts from um i i actually did the whole thing uh, as if I was doing it for another company. So I knew where I was. So I had a marketing tagline and like, um, you know, a, a, like the log line and so small summations of each issue. And it helped actually when I wrote it because I broke it down to six issues and the other guys that were doing it was like, we can only do five. I'm like, can you give me 36 pages for the last one instead of 30 instead of 24 and I can do it. And he's like, yeah. And so a lot of stuff that you solve writing is is happenstance like that but anyway i did the script collection and that was cool because you had to say alan moore and neil gaiman and larry young in the same sentence if you were talking about comic book script writing so that's that was one of i think we we've done over 100 published over 100 books but only like six or seven of them had second or third printings and that was one of them because but now it's like kind of a joke it's like who cares because there's so many script collections and i also did a marketing book called true facts that was good but there's lots of how to draw comics how to write comics how to letter comics even that just books that just didn't exist 20 years ago and i think that's part of the the interconnectivity of social media everybody goes it's easier to see when a niche needs to be filled so because people are talking about it and you're like oh well if i know 30 guys there's probably 300 and if there's 300 lists in this area, there might be 3,000, and that's a print run, you know? So a lot of stuff that we published that seems silly was stuff like that. Uh, Brian Wood actually published, uh, Image Comics published uh, Channel Zero, and it only had a 1,000 print run for its first edition, and then they just gave up on it. And Hibbs, I knew Hibbs sold 150 of those, and Rory Root, who's in Berkeley, had a store. He sold 200. So I know I knew two guys that had sold 350 copies of a thousand print run. And so I called Brian. I was like, hey man, if Image doesn't want to want to reprint this, I'll keep this in print as long as you want me to. And that that got like four editions for um because that's a good book. And but comics is so weird. Like a book like that usually just disappears. And then that that helps start Brian's career too, you know. So yeah, you never know. Comics is really hard to explain to regular people because it doesn't really make sense. It's, do you guys know the history of like comics on the newsstand? Basically, New York mobsters invented this thing about you rip the covers off and send them back to the publishers. You get credit for those as unsold copies. But the, guy, the mob would just sell the little books for a nickel to, to kids and return these books anyway. It started to collapse in in the early late 70s, early 80s. And a guy named Phil Suling in New York 
started the direct market. He said, this would all work for publishers if we could tell you how many orders you needed a couple months in advance. And that lasted until now, which is crazy because that is just a stopgap measure. And the, just the, the money you make on a comic is uh, an individual comic is just so low. You have to sell millions of them to make money. And that, that's just not there anymore because if you care about Captain America, you just put in Civil War again, right? And watch Bucky in his arm hit Tom Holland. And you know what I mean? The, the thing that regular people, the Jones, the regular people got out of comics 40, 50 years ago is all on movies and TV now and video games. So yeah, comics is going to, I don't think it's going to take very long, but comics is going to end up like Shakespeare's folio in Captain Picard's office under a thing of glass. It's like, oh, look, here's my first edition of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or whatever in the future because comics won't go away, but it's not going to be. I mean, it's already an IP farm for Hollywood. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's what what is comics bringing to the table that you can't get otherwise? Yeah. And so that's why I like the independent stuff, because those are the guys that are doing the weird crap that either either you just don't see or. Or it's something like we did a great book called Last of the Independence, which was printed landscape. But I, since I worked for Hibs and knew the the um, the uh, problems of a retailer, those are kind of hard to display. And so I put a paper slipcover on it to make it vertical, and you throw it up there, and then take it off and read it. Right? It's and oh my god, people freaked out like I invented cheese or something. You know, <laughs> it's like. It's a thing from a regular bookstore that just hadn't been seen in comics before. And so it was really funny because four months later, somebody else did the exact same thing. Like, so it's like, really? Like, this isn't an innovation, really. But in comics, comics is a weird redheaded stepchild. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I like it. <laughs> and, and a lot of people still do, too. I mean, it's it's nice to go to the comic store, you know, but, a new new comic day and get your, yeah. you know, get whatever you get. And sometimes you'll find something that, you know, it's a it's an intriguing cover. You say, you ask the uh, you ask the cashier, like, what's this one about? And they'll tell you and they'll say and then you know, they'll explain what the story is. And you're like, hey, that sounds pretty cool. I'll give it a try. And, you know, yeah. sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. But, you know, that that's just the way comics is, as you said. Yeah. I get more joy personally now out of out of reviewing other people's comics. <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm uh I'm one of the balcony muppets <laughs> in the in the Muppet show. You know, I just like I'm just this old guy who knows how it all works. I was a Muppet too once and I just like to point and laugh now. That is fantastic. Uh so uh, Justin, do you have any other questions? Uh, no, I think we have the uh the main one that we always have, which is of course how can uh people find you? Do you have a I think we have a web- website for you, but you want to give a shout out to your website and any other social media that you have? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I'm kind of semi-retired. <laughs> so uh, so I don't really, I, I just came out with a Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. book, a collection of all my my mm-hmm. uh, um, reviews of that show as it came out. So that that was kind of fun. And uh, it's on MSNBC. Uh, I don't know if you guys watch the news, but <laughs> that's why I said Lawrence O'Donnell during his show. He has a guy named Brad Moss who's a national security um, expert. It's on. He's on all the time because Donald Trump was just messing up the national security stuff. And in his home office, like right here, he has a copy of of, uh, my book. (laughs) And it's the weirdest thing. And after about a week, guys that worked on on S.H.I.E.L.D. were like, 
text or sending him Twitter things like, dude, what are you, what is this? You have to explain it. Like, oh, my friend Larry did it. But, you know, I'm like, can you come up with something cool? Like you were the, you know, you were a shield council or something <laughs> like, I don't know, but it's fun. So that's what I do. Uh, Dorkcourt.com is where we do it. My son, uh, my friend Steve Ukrin is a big movie reviewer. He's on there a lot. Um, and John Price, who we do a Star Trek uh, podcast. So John puts his Star Trek stuff on Dorkcourt every once in a while. I just, I hate Screen Rant. I hate, you know, everything, even... Even AV Club used to be great, and they're all just, it's all just wanking now. So I'm, She Hulk came out, and I, my wife was like, I was ranting to my wife about everybody's misery of She Hulk. And she said, just write it down and start a, start a website. And so I did. <laughs> and it was, it's a year actually. August 18th was the year anniversary of it. So, oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that, it was a year. Yeah. So I, I kind of took the coronavirus off, and, and now I'm writing and making people mad again. Excellent. Okay, so dorkcourt.com. And if people want to check out the Astronauts in Trouble books, where can they find those? Uh, yeah, I just send people to Amazon. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to deal with that anymore. I, man, I used to go to the post office three times a day running your own business. That was crazy. And now I just, yeah, get, get it from Amazon. Ask your yeah. retailer. Ask your retailer to get it. That's fine too. That's yeah. fine too. Excellent. Are, are you, uh, do you have any social media presence, uh, like any Twitter accounts or Instagram? Uh, I, I did not even get on Twitter, even in the beginning. As, as a writer, I was offended by Twitter. It's like, man, 140 characters? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't even want to learn how this works. So I was a Facebook guy, like right away. And so I'm on, because you can rant. And so I'm on <laughs> Facebook. It's uh, larry.young.sf. I believe, which was cool for science fiction and San Francisco. I think that I don't know if there's a dot between Larry and Young or not. That's all. <laughs> Maybe I can look. Well, people people <laughs> can dig around and find it, and they will get yeah, in touch yeah. with you. Yeah, there is. There's a dot between the two. Okay. Oh no, <laughs> where did I go? I think I lost my window. <laughs> I did. Where is it? Anyway, thanks, guys. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know, man. I don't. I don't get this digital stuff, man. I don't get it. Quite okay. <laughs> this, this was a lot of fun and really informative, and definitely great information, especially for writers and people who want to get into writing comics. And if you have questions, you can always get in touch with Larry. And like he said, there's a ton of resources on the internet. So you know, there's stuff out there. You just got to put in the work. The thing I tell people, the one thing I will tell people is nobody's stopping you. If you want to write, be a writer, write something down. Like that's the trick, right? Is is and I say this a lot. People want to be rock stars, but they don't want to rock. It's like, no, you have to rock. You have to get your fingers bloody on the on the keyboard. Anyway. Man, I, I appreciate talking to you guys. It's really this oh, is a blast. Thank this you. This is our much. pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been really great. Thank you very much for coming on the show. All right, listeners, uh, we always say if you can leave a review, that's great. Also, go check out Larry's books. I'm sure they uh, appreciate reviews as well. And if you can spread word of mouth on all of this, that's always great. Uh, once again, the Creative Writing Life Podcast, I'm Justin Sloan. And I'm Paul Zeidman. You can check out my screenwriting blog at MaximumZ at MaximumZ.blog. I've got my books on Amazon as well. And I'm still on Twitter because I'm not going to stop calling it that. <laughs> uh, it's at Maximum underscore Z. I'm also on Instagram at Pez Screenwriting, P-E-Z. I'm lucky to have those initials. Like he said, he's Justin. He's Larry. I'm Paul. This has been the Creative Writing Life Podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Most importantly, go write something. <laughs>